Welcome back to Providence POV. It's Peter and Joe here with you again. Thursday, January 18th. By the time you're listening to this, it will be Friday morning, which means it'll be two days after Providence is finally returned to the win column. Providence beat DePaul by a score of 100-62 to last night in Chicago. A seriously much-needed win for the Friars. It ends a four-game losing streak, and for the first time in a long time, I know it's DePaul, the offense actually looked good, the defense looked good, and the guys played really well without Bryce Hopkins, who, in parallel news, underwent uh, ACL surgery yesterday. Uh, Obviously, prayers up for him for a speedy recovery. Kim English was there the entire time, so all good on that front, but... Enough of me rambling here. Peter, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I like the title that you came up with for this episode. Uh, <laughs> Beggars can't be choosers because I think that perfectly represents what Wednesday Wednesday's night win kind of means for the Friars, right? Yep. Obviously, we know it's DePaul. Uh, DePaul is one of the worst power six teams in the country. They're the worst Big East, Big East team in the country. They have three wins on the season as a whole, and they don't have a Big East win uh, to date. So it's not the most it's not the most flashy win you're going to get out there. Even though you put up 100 points and you only let up 62, it looks a little bit more flashy than it probably is. You needed <clears> – and look, you don't control who you play. Next man up, and you kind of have to – you kind of have to take a win as you get it because we have known – it's been hard to get a win these last four games. A four-game losing streak comes into uh, coming into Wednesday night, and hopefully, Joe. Obviously, we're going to break down the game, but hopefully, Wednesday night's win maybe gives them a little bit momentum, and they can string together a couple of wins in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, and the reason I think you're right, Peter. The reason I named the the show "Beggars Can't Be Choosers" is because, right, like. Uh, there's the weird dichotomy that exists when you beat DePaul, right? Like, especially this season's DePaul. It's like, all right, you you beat DePaul. They suck. You're supposed to beat DePaul. But on the other hand, you know, this is a team that needed to end a four-game skid and get back in the win column to, you know, sort of balance out the conference uh, record at three and four. So you can't, you know, take – it's a gift. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth like – you got to play a really bad DePaul team and run an offensive clinic on the road. It helped Ken Palm. It helped Net. And now you're looking at a nice six-day break before you head to Newark and battle it out for a rematch with Seton Hall. So I think this period of time right now is starting with yesterday's game and, and continuing through to the end of next week is a really important period in the season, right? Like this is where we make a break, you know? You and I talked uh, previously, I forget if it was on the mic or off air, we talked about how, you know, this is going to be that time where, you know, we're either going to hit rock bottom or we're going to start climbing back out. If we lost to DePaul last night, I'd say rock bottom, pack it up, season's over. Instead, we beat DePaul 162, which is the largest margin of defeat for DePaul by any conference team so far this season. And keep in mind, they've already played at Villanova and at Creighton. So without Bryce Hopkins, Providence beat DePaul 
better than anyone else in the conference is beat DePaul. And now you have some time off before a rematch with the hottest team in the country in Seton Hall. Yeah. And look, you're never going to complain about a big East win. Like you said, it helps Ken Palm. They went up, they went from 56 on Ken Palm to 48. So an eight point uh, jump for the fires that benefited them. And Joe, we said on Tuesday's morning's episode, maybe about freaking 50 times about how everything's right in front of them, right? Like everything's in front of this team. Uh, how, how do they respond to adversity? All those type of cliches. You and I have, you and I have said that a ton of times the last couple of weeks, but we also said it a ton of time on Tuesday morning because we knew how important Wednesday's game was, not because of who you were playing, just because you needed to find a way to get a victory, right? Like, Yep, you could have played Westchester Community College, and <laughs> I would have been satisfied because you needed a win because you needed to get back closer to 500 in conference. You don't want to fall. Obviously, you're way back of the first place team, but you don't want to fall too down out of the middle tier of the Big East, right? Out of the five spot, out of the six spot, out of the four spot. You want to stay as close as possible uh, down the stretch, and you also needed to get, uh, snap a four game win streak after starting two and zero in conference. You lost four games in a row in conference. And anytime you get a conference win, every think about it like this. Resume wins are different, right? Every win is different when you're building a resume to get to the NCAA tournament. Every win is the same when you are playing a Big East team. Every mm-hmm. win counts as one win in the Big East tournament. So I can't even look at the NCAA tournament picture at the moment because I think, one, it's way too early. But what you can look at is the Big East and the Big East landscape and where you sit in the Big East. And this is another win in the Big East. And obviously, the next game is, could be another win in the Big East. So you got If you think it like that, I think that's a better mindset than thinking big picture. But, Joe, they, they came, they showed up on Wednesday. It was a little bit of a, a slow start defensively, uh, I thought. I thought offensively, they, yeah. clicked right, they clicked right away offensively. They were making shots. But so was DePaul. DePaul started uh, hot from three. They were making basically everything they were putting up. And I'll, I'll give credit to DePaul there. And then obviously the Friars kind of, kind of got in their groove and they kind of they settled down defensively while the offense kind of went a little bit wild towards the end of the first half and then obviously in the second half. Yeah, that's a great point. You know the the way the game started yesterday, uh, you know you and I were texting. I was freaking out because I thought, <laughs> oh oh shit, here we go again. Like yeah. with a slow defensive start, Paul's getting what they want, and here I am thinking like. DePaul sucks, and we're letting them score all over us. I think you're right. The offense was coming fine. It was just defensively we couldn't catch a break. And then finally, you know, I'd say the the final eight minutes of the first half, we kicked it into gear. Um, and, you know, guys started defending, forcing turnovers. The shots started falling more consistently. And then we thankfully, you know, didn't look back. But the first, you know, 10, 12 minutes had me uh, – had my heart rate up where it's not supposed to be in this type of game, right? Like you you thought, I I mean, and again, I texted you yesterday. I was like, all I want is a 10 point win. I know people blow out to Paul. All all I'm really looking for is a 10 point win. They spoiled us with the 38 point win, but there were points in time in that first half where I was like, oh shit, we're going to either sneak this one out or lose. Um, But thankfully we didn't. I mean, Credit Kim English and the guy and, and the players for turning it around, but yeah, rocky start. 
Yeah, Joe, we've talked about, we talked about this on Tuesday morning, how the defense has really struggled with out Bryce Hopkins and mm-hmm. how the rebounding has struggled without the presence of Bryce Hopkins. And it, it's one of the reasons why we are in this four game skid is I would say more to the defense than it is to the offense, which mm-hmm. doesn't get, the, I guess, the glaring attention that I guess Providence fans or media members or whoever covers the team kind of gives it, in, in my opinion. But you're right. Like they, it, Joe, it also could have been DePaul started hot. Right? Like DePaul was making some shots that I've never seen DePaul make before. Uh, and they were they hitting some threes. They were in rhythm. But DePaul does that. They, if you watch DePaul games, and I try not to because they're very annoying to watch, uh, <laughs> not good. But DePaul, Joe, and the announcers said this multiple times DePaul has like two to five minutes of really good basketball, like per half, kind of. But then the rest of the time, they play terrible. And this yeah. is why they lose so many games. Like they can't, they only can put together eight to 10 good minutes, and they look really good in those eight to 10 minutes. They're keeping it close against Nova, Creighton. They kept it close in the first 10 minutes against Providence, right? They were winning by two to four at times, right? And then they go on these walls. They can't score. They can't defend, and they get blown out. But off, I think the Friars settled down defensively. I, I, Everyone's going to give credit to Devin Carter, right? I thought Devin Carter had a great game, as yeah. he always does. And he's, his NBA draft stock is starting to completely skyrocket in a way, which is good for him. He, this morning, Joe, I don't know if you saw this Bleacher Report, Came out with a mock draft. It was either this morning or yesterday. Uh, they had Devin Carter going twenty first overall wow. in the uh, in the draft. So that he's skyrocketing. So he gets a ton of credit. But obviously, everyone gives him credit. Adoro had a great second half. One person that I don't think gets enough credit, and we didn't, I didn't put him on the final stats because he didn't. I usually go by points and all that stuff and rebounds because he doesn't kind of pop in the box score. I thought Corey Floyd Jr. Yeah, yep. very solid game it's not flashing numbers he shot two for six from the field he missed both his threes but i thought he was hustling i thought he was rebounding i thought anytime he didn't shoot a three he was good when he got into the lane i thought he was doing every single thing he was supposed to besides make outside shots he made both his free throws for some reason i just liked the energy that Corey floyd kind of brought brought to the court and i thought he's someone that is not when you if you didn't watch the game and you're just gonna look at the stat sheet, he's someone that you're not gonna like talk about. But I thought Corey Floyd Jr. in 22 minutes had a very solid basketball game. Yeah, that's a really good um, starting point here as we pick apart the box score because Corey Floyd Jr. like you said, he didn't fill the stat sheet with anything spectacular. But I thought, like you said, Peter, he had a really good game and he made winning hustle plays that don't show up on the box score. I think defensively he was great. He was forcing turnovers. Um, There was one play under the basket where I think he forced a jump ball, right? Like just doing the little things that are needed to win basketball games, right? So if it doesn't matter if he's hitting his threes or not. If he's out there and he's playing good physical defense and, you know, he's making the types of plays that are going to force turnovers and give your offense opportunities to score and push the score up, then – by all means, keep him out there. I thought, I think you're right. I think Corey Floyd Jr. had a really good game. Yeah. And I think sometimes when the offense struggles, Joe, and you look at Corey Floyd Jr. to become a scorer, it kind of takes down his game. And look, he hasn't been the scorer that we thought. But when the rest of the team is scoring around him, like Adoro, Pierre, uh, Carter, Castro, like 
and everyone else, when they're scoring around him, he can kind of go into more of that defensive physical mode that I think we could, we kind of use him, And it works better when you had Bryce Hopkins, because obviously you had additional scoring. So yep. now obviously you need obviously Corey Ford Jr. to score a little bit more, but when you score a hundred, his, his game works a little better. Oh, a hundred percent. Um, so moving on here, I, I think we start with the the role players, right? So I think Corey Floyd Jr. is one of them. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of going to just group these three together. Uh, the three guys off the bench, Rich Barron, Rafael Castro, and Garway Duell, I thought gave really, really good minutes. Um, I think I'm going to, out of the three, pick out Castro as, you know, performance of the game, you know, 12 points, eight rebounds, five of six from the floor. He was sound defensively, um, you know, only one turnover, didn't really drop the basketball when it was passed to him. He looked confident out there. Um, he actually ran the floor on that steal and uh, got the layup and the announced correctly pointed out that he runs like a deer. But I, I just, I thought Castro showed us a lot of the potential that's been hyped up around him that we might not have seen, but the coaches, the players, the program has seen behind closed doors in practice. Um, and I'm happy because on a night where, you know, Oduro was slow to start, Castro came in, picked up the slack, and then obviously Oduro had a strong second half. So we really, you know, in terms of the front court were uh, solid, I think, you know, between the two of them. Mm -hmm. I thought Rafael Castro had his probably his best game as a Providence Friar, right? Like we've been very critical of Rafael Castro because he's been in the program for a couple of years and he, he slides into a very important role, a backup big man. Right. And I think we need a backup big man. And then with the, with the, with Will McNair not being on the team, someone that we haven't brought up in a while, but him not being on the team, who's presumed to be the backup center heading into the season or in the summer, Rafael Castro plays more minutes than I think maybe people anticipated. And mm -hmm. he, what he does out there is he needs to be an energy guy. He needs to be a guy that defends. He needs to be a guy that rebounds. And I think he did all that. And then he added scoring, which we haven't seen. And right. I do think sometimes Rafael Castro like needs to slow down a little. And it's, it's a weird thing to say. Like sometimes his brain, I think, works faster than his body. Right? Like he catches the ball. He's like, oh, my God, I got to go score. And he kind of just loses the ball or like he knows he has to score. So he starts going up without having the ball yet. Kind of like yeah. that type of thing, making sure he doesn't get blocked. I thought on Wednesday night against DePaul, he was very calm and collective. He didn't do, take too many dribbles besides going full court, which I didn't know he could do that. That was my <laughs> I've ever seen. I had no idea he could do that. But also a couple of the ones that people driving, Pierre, Carter, whoever it was, passing it and uh, cash on just going up. Right? Like I think that's what he kind of needs to be. And if he, if he can be physical enough on defense, because obviously he has a slighter build. Mm-hmm then he's good to be a backup big man because, Joe, he's not 6'8 with a slight build. He's 6'10", 6'11 with a slight build, right? Like, he, I think he sometimes forgets that he's 6'11", 6'10". Yeah. I think he sometimes thinks he's not – he's 6'2". Like, when he uses his height and when he uses his body, he becomes a good player. And Wednesday night, he was great. And I'm not saying we need 12 points from him every night. Like, that's not what we should expect if we want to win every night because that's right. not realistic. Even 23 minutes is probably not realistic, but 
10 to 15 minutes of just energy, no turnovers. When he gets a, when he gets the ball near the, the basket, go up with it, draw a foul, rebound, all that type of things because he kind of fits into that backup big man. But he had a great performance on Wednesday night. Yeah, I think uh, I really like the point that you made about how sometimes he doesn't play like he's 6'11", right? Sometimes when he's out there, I feel like he's like 6'8", 6'9", because of the way that he's playing. Um, but last night, it felt like you had like a seven-footer out there, a, a very skinny seven-footer, but he played within himself. And uh, Kim English uses this phrase a lot, but he let the game come to him. Um, you know, I think we, we said this, something similar about Jaden Pierre early on in the season, and that's, you know, that he was seeing things too quickly. And this was when Pierre was on his, you know, really bad turnover skid. And slowly but surely, he was able to, slow things down, let the game come to him. And over the past couple of weeks, although the team has been losing, we've seen Pierre's individual performance kind of step up a, a couple a couple notches. The same thing is happening right now with Rafael Castro. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And you mentioned Rich Barron as well. Rich Barron was very good. I think he was very calm. I think he was collective. Uh, I think when Rich Barron doesn't have to do – when he doesn't do too much – I think he works well when he just becomes that kind of spot up shooter. I don't know if he's there. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's there physical physical. I don't think he I don't think he's physical enough yet. And I don't think he's quick enough yet to kind of take guys off the dribble into the lane in the no. big east consistently. I don't I don't think he's there yet. He's only a freshman, and I don't think that's what we expected in his year one for Rich Barron. But I think when he's a nice catch and shoot shooter and he makes his shots, he's very valuable. And then obviously you mentioned Garway, right? Like Garway's so interesting, dude. Because he is so talented. Like, he, he outside of Devin Carter, he probably might have more te- technically talented than Devin Carter, which is crazy to say, but I- I'm not going to go there. But outside of Devin Carter, he's probably the second most talented player on this team. Uh, obviously, he's not the second best player on this team yet, but raw talent. What, yeah, raw talent. Thank you. Garway's layup towards the end of the game when it's like the five minute mark when he drove in and he kind of floated like above the rim into a guy and like just laid it up so nicely is something that I want to see more because look, he had a couple turnovers that weren't great. That happens, but seven points, I thought with three assists, three for six shooting Joe, when Garway, we've said, I think I've said this so many times when Garway's aggressive and just takes guys off the dribble, he is so hard. And he didn't miss a layup that he should have made, but he is so hard to stop. I just, yep. There's, we know what's in there, and I, I, when I'm thinking this, and it sucks for people now because we're thinking this year, next year I think Garway's going to be great, like really good. That you know when you get that year one, the year two jump, that is crazy. And I think David that's Duke Junior. Yes, I think that's and Chris Dunn, those type of players. Like I think Garway Dual fits more into that. But if you're thinking now, like I, he's great defensively, he gets rebounds, all that kind of stuff. He's not like we Joe. The amount of times guys drive and kind of get a step on him, and he just uses his seven foot wingspan to alter the shot and make it tough not yep. even a block just alter the shot and they miss it it's he's he's such a good presence on defense offensively when he's aggressive you can take anybody off the dribble like anybody and i've he's starting to do it a little bit more he's not fully there yet but he is fun and kind of especially when you're up by a lot he's fun to watch in my opinion yeah i agree i what i would really like to see more of is Garway and Jaden on the floor at the same time. And 
I think we see a decent amount of it, but I just I think that is such a dynamic backcourt because when you get Pierre off the ball, he is such a good scorer. I think uh, the three threes that he drained in the first half were all he was off the ball, and he was it was a catch and shoot, right? I think mm-hmm. when you when you let Garway play the true point and you let Jaden play more of a combo, you know, scoring half point guard, I think the 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 backcourt is really good. And not to mention Garway brings a defensive energy that you know, not to knock him, but Pierre doesn't. Um, and like you said, that's a that's a, a contributed to his you know athleticism, uh, his wingspan, his ability to upset opponents. Um, and then, yeah, I think Garway just he needs to to score more because, you know, he can hit threes. He can drive the lane, right? He can score. So I, I want to see him try and find his shot more. I feel like he's very tentative at times and, you know, hesitant. I'd like to see that change going forward, especially now, you know, as guys are settling into this post Bryce Hopkins, uh, I guess, era of Providence basketball yeah. this season. You know, we need more scores, and I think Garway is a great uh, contestant for that. You mentioned, Joe, Jaden Pierre, right? I think he's starting to finally, when he gets, I said this a couple weeks ago, he he was shying away from contact, right, when he gets into yep. the lane against defenders. And look, I, he's not the size of Garway, uh, which makes it harder for Jaden Pierre. But I think he's starting to finally find his groove. Obviously, I think from outside, uh, three-point range he was three for five from three but mm-hmm. he's starting to drive into the lane and go into contact and it's working because most a lot of times you will get to, look he wasn't great from the line one for four against DePaul but he's been a very good free throw shooter this year and I think he's starting to get into contact and I think it's helping his finishing Pierre's starting to come into the point guard that I think we expected this year 14 points five assists only one turnover. He had three rebounds. He wasn't, I don't think he was a complete liability on defense. Like I think Jaden Pierre is starting to shape into the point guard that we need. And obviously we really need now, but that we yeah. expected when we kind of heading into the summer, into the early parts of the fall, early parts of the season, he's starting to go into contact. And I think he's starting to finish really well at, at the rim. And I mm-hmm. think, that is very, very important because you need a third score. And I think he probably fits that position or fits that role the most out of the guys outside of Josh Adoro and Devin Carter. I was just going to say, I think his ability to finish when he drives to the cup, it, it continues to improve. And mm-hmm. like you said, I think that's just one piece of the giant improvement that we've seen the in-season improvement, mind you, of Jaden Pierre. Um, you know, he. I think this has, you know, been building over the past couple of games, and maybe it's because we haven't been as positive after losses, and maybe because it's easier to positively dissect the the box score after a win. But Jaden Pierre has been playing really well since Hopkins went down. You know, I'm fairly confident that the coaching staff had, you know some sort of discussion with him, like, you know, you need to step up and be a scorer. And so far he's done just that, you know, he's been scoring in double figures. He's been taking better care of the basketball. He's been dishing it out. This is the the point guard that was promised. Um, and it's the point guard that we're getting. So it's coming at the right time. I think last night was another great outing for Jaden Pierre. 
Um, and, you know, I, I just think uh, guys, like you said, in as part of the greater theme, guys are stepping up now and learning to play uh, Bryce Hopkins, Bryce Hopkins list. Wow. That's a mouthful. Bryce Hopkins list basketball <laughs> at Providence college. Um, and then of course, you know, you've got your role players. You've got the guys off the bench. You know, we were eight strong last night, you know, eight mean, I mean, I, obviously the walk-ons and the freshmen got to play, but the rotation of eight guys that, you know, logged 15 or plus minutes played really well. And, you know, you can't overlook Devin Carter and Josh Adoro, Devin, doing the Devin Carter All-American things, 8 for 15 from the floor, 25 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 steals. Uh, You know, he got to kick his feet up in the last 10 minutes or so and was given some very well-deserved rest. Um, And I don't know if you listened to the post-game press conference, Peter, but Kim English said that Devin was sick the past couple days. And Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but if I'm ever in the physical condition where I'm sick and I'm putting up 25 points in a college basketball game and being as let and being as athletic and as all over the court as Devin Carter is, then I think I've reached peak, you know, physicality because that's freaking awesome that he played like that and was sick. Yeah. Devin Carter's turning into obviously I think he already is, but he is turning into a star right in front of our eyes. Uh, Bleacher Report put out a mock draft this later in this week. Uh, had a 21st overall in the NBA draft, which I don't think anybody would have predicted heading into this year. Well, Devin Carter is is, is going to take us as far as possible, right? Like, he's the anchor to this team. He's the best player on this team. He had another great performance. Well, he wasn't particularly superb from three, but he was pretty good from three. Front-rimmed a couple of them. But outside of that, he was... Very good at getting into the lane. He finished over contact. He drew contact. He was seven for seven from the free throw line. He rebounded. He passed it. He had four assists, two no turnovers. He had three steals. Like he did everything that you want out of your best player, out of your your combo guard in the backcourt. And look, he played 28 minutes. So out of a 40 minute game, Joe. 25 points, seven rebounds, four assists in 28 minutes is great. But what's even greater is that he got to sit for 12 minutes. He basically, I think they yanked him in the seven, eight minute mark in the second half, and he didn't see the court the rest of the game, which is like you mentioned, uh, him being sick. But I think it's good for the long run, him getting only playing 12 or only playing 28 minutes out of the 40, where when he's used to playing 30 plus minutes. But he was great. Uh, and his obviously draft stock is r- rising. His Presence in the national basketball conversation, like the national media, when I talk about college basketball, is starting to rise. Obviously, he's going to be most likely if he keeps playing as a first team Big East. He's on the track to be one of the final candidates to win Big East Player of the Year, right? Like mm-hmm. Evan Carter's having a, a great season, and it's a lot of pressure on him now because, in order for us to win, I'm not saying he has to play lights out every night, but he is going to have to be the main factor and the main guy scoring and defending and distributing throughout the game for the rest of the year. Yeah. And I, I, <clears throat> I think he's willing to take that role. Uh, obviously, you know, I, I listened to all of the post game press conferences multiple times each. Um, he texted Kim English and the coaching staff the day after Hopkins went down and said that he'd be ready to, you know, take a bigger role on the team to help compensate. And, 
we've seen nothing short of that the past five games, even through four losses. So obviously Devin Carter is, uh, you know, he's this year's team. This, this year's team revolves around him. And unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see him playing college basketball next year. I think that's just the the brutal yeah. reality of it. He's talented enough to, you know, make a difference in the association. So, you know, let's enjoy him while we have him. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, Devin Carter's been great. And, yeah, I, I, I would probably put a lot of uh, chunk of money on it that he's probably not in a province fire uh, uniform next year, which is not going to obviously hold it against him. Obviously, he's having a great no, year. Understandable. He deserves, yes, he deserves everything that comes his way. But one, maybe one final thing we got to mention, Josh Adora, right? Oh, no, I know. I know. Don't worry, oh, we're getting there. Oh, I know you were getting there. I know you brought him up. But, Joe. I did, his stat line was great in the second half. You know what my favorite stat line for Josh Adoro was? He only played 17 minutes. Yep. I love that because it's a 40-minute game, and it's a long, long college basketball season. And obviously, he's very important. The fact that – obviously, he was a little bit of foul trouble in the first half. Yep. But he also – but also, Rafael Castro was playing so well. So, you didn't really need to yank Rafael Castro. But I thought – I know you're going to touch on this now, but Josh Adoro was great. 17 points. Nine rebounds. He mostly all in the second half. He was. I thought he had a great second half, and only having to play seventeen minutes out of a forty-minute game, I think bodes well for the upcoming games. Yeah, I also think too. Perfect from the free throw line is really important for him because he does get fouled a lot. Um, it looked across the boards that the the team had focused on shooting free throws in the, in the past couple of days. But like you said, 17 minutes played and the stat line that he put up is super important. Um, Kim has been telling the press that Josh has been having some ankle issues, uh, which I believe to be true. I also believe it's a little bit of um, an excuse because he didn't play well against Kalkbrenner and Soriano, who are two of the best big men in the league. But, I mean, we need Josh to return to form, which is what he's done the past two games in terms of his offensive presence um, because we need that second score, right? And, you know, if the box score, the top three scores is any indication of how things are going to look going forward, you know, Carter's got 25 out. He's the leading scorer. Josh has 17. He's second and Pierre's got 14. He's third, right? Like we need that three tiered system. Um, so Josh returning to form is super important. And, like I had mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, having Rafael Castro come off the bench and provide the quality minutes of basketball that he did only layers on top of how, uh, you know, on top of Josh's performance last night, right? Like in the limited time that he played, he played great. And when he was on the bench, his backup played great. So an all around great night at the five spot. Yeah. And yeah, Josh and starting to maybe get back to his old form. Uh, that we saw in the early portion of the Big East play and obviously a non-conference play uh, his last two games against uh, X. He was good offensively, and then obviously against DePaul, he was very official with eight shots. And you, you mentioned, Joe, a very, very important thing, free throws. Yeah. Uh, and this team wasn't great from the free throw line, but they were better than what we have seen. They're 71% from the line, 20 for 28. That was kind of hindered by arguably their best free throw shooter, Jaden Pierre, who was one for four. Yeah. Uh, outside of that, everyone else was particularly pretty good 
from the free throw line, the two obviously that stands out. Devin Carter seven for seven, and Josh Adora five for five. But yeah, Adora hitting free throws is always good, just because obviously as a big man, you usually get fouled the most, just because obviously you're closer to the basket and you draw a foul. So him hitting free throws is very important. Uh, but yeah, I thought Adora was very good in limited minutes, which is a good thing, not a bad thing. Uh, that he only played seventeen minutes, just because if he is truly dealing with an ankle injury, and I'm not going to say Kim English is lying about it, and I, you weren't saying that either, but if he is, was truly dealing with an ankle injury, giving it rest and only playing 17 minutes while still playing really well is is a great thing. Yeah. No, I wasn't saying... No, I know. No, no, I know, yeah. I wasn't saying Kim was lying. I just think it's poor timing. If... Interesting. Inter- basically, interesting time to say it. Yeah, to say it after he plays two of the best bigs. But anyway, we're not looking backwards. We're looking ahead. I think um, some intangibles off the court is in the postgame press conference yesterday, I feel like Kim English finally acknowledged that the team struggled without Bryce. You know, I feel like the in the immediate aftermath, it was, you know, nobody cares. Uh, We have to play. And the we have to play with the cards that we're given, and we expect to execute excellence every time we're on the court. And I feel like last night he finally, you know, I don't want to say admitted, but uh, played into the the Bryce's absence and said, you know, our guys are finally adjusting. So mm-hmm. it's nice to after his you know kind of harsh and and cold response to it a, a few weeks ago to hear him say like you know. Yes, it's affected us, and yes, we felt it behind closed doors too, because now we're starting to see them mesh and gel a little bit more. Um, hopefully, the the week off before Seton Hall will give the guys some more time to mesh and gel and really get used to you know the system without Bryce. And you know, it, hopefully, this is this win, albeit over DePaul serves as, you know, a springboard for some momentum here so that, you know, we can continue to to win basketball games and, you know, level out this conference record here because that's the most important thing right now is, you know, beat play well, ideally beat and split with Seton Hall next week and then your 500 in conference play again. Yeah. Next, obviously next man up's the mentality they've been having for a couple of weeks and you're right, maybe it's taken it has taken them a little while to regroup and kind of figure out how you you were going to play on both sides of the ball without Bryce Hopkins. I wish it didn't come at an expense of a four game losing streak. I wish they could have been like two and two and it would have been easier to yeah. swallow. Hey, but it makes it a little interesting down the stretch. And hey, one game at a time, they have a little break until until Seton Hall, which I think will bode very well for them. It's a Wednesday game. At Seton Hall, Seton Hall is one of the hottest teams in the country, one of the hottest teams in the Big East, sitting at the top of the Big East. But if you can find a way to split with Seton Hall and you go on the road and beat Seton Hall, then I think you're maybe a little have a different mindset with this team. And I didn't even mean to use the word mindset, mindset, but (laughs) that's what came to me there. But it fits perfectly with Kim English. You've done that two or three times now this episode, and I wasn't going to say anything. Have I? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It works. It, it, it does work. work. That was the first time I realized I said it. And I'm serious. Also, in all seriousness, I'm not obviously doing that on purpose. Uh, That's uh, that PC marketing. Yeah, I guess it's just in, I guess engraved into my brain. Uh, it's like just I, I go to bed. Oh, yeah. just mindset just in my head. All right. 
closing thought here. Um, I actually I talked with um, former podcast member Matt St. Jean for a little bit on the phone last night, and he brought up a good point. He said that so far through the first you know seven games of conference play that Providence has done exactly what it did last year. You beat Marquette at home, which we did last year. You beat Butler at home, which we did last year. You beat uh, DePaul on the road, which we did last year. And then you you lose to Seton Hall and Xavier at home, which were Providence's only two losses of last season. Mm -hmm. And then you lose at St. John's and you lose at Creighton, which Providence also did last season. So, so far, we're, we're, we're performing exactly as we did in terms of, you know, win-loss outcome and location as last year. So, unfortunately, it comes at the expense of a 3-4 and four record in conference play and obviously, you know, the loss of Bryce Hopkins. But so far, so good if we're using last year as a barometer. Yeah, didn't even think about it like that, but no, you're right. Yeah, and I've said it a million times, everything is out in front of you. And they got a much-needed win against DePaul on Wednesday night. Even though it's DePaul, they got a much-needed win. And they moved from 56 to 48 in Ken Palm. So they're moving in the right direction, but it's one game at a time. Yeah. All right. I think I am out of stuff to say unless <laughs> unless you've got anything else, Peter. Nah, man. I'm all, I'm all set. All right. Um, as a reminder, this podcast is, as always, Brought to you by House Enterprise and in partnership with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com. You'll toggle over to the blog tab. That's where you'll find this podcast amongst others. You'll hear from us again next Tuesday morning. Uh, We'll be doing a Seton Hall preview. That one, like this one, will probably be on the shorter side. But for Peter DiBiase, this is Joe Howie. Thank you for listening. Follow us at Providence POV wherever you consume your social media or podcast content. And as always, go Friars. Go Friars.